So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, on this week's show, we're going to be talking about the IRA. Now, even if you're not Irish or retired, this is the most important TLA, three-letter acronym, for clean tech ever. I'm talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, we're going to kind of discuss two big topics on the show today. One is the big picture. In other words, what's the impact on U.S. energy generation and consumption over the next 10 years as we transition away from fossil fuels. And the second thing we're going to talk about very specifically is about the impact that the IRA will have on homeowners, particularly the incentives, and then how much homeowners will save with these clean technologies. Now, in terms of the general size of this bill, it's been going on for a long time in the foreground and in the background. The IRA puts $369 billion of investments in place for energy security and climate change. Now, I remember just like 15 years ago when we managed to get a billion dollars for solar rooftops in California and then about $7 billion for the solar investment tax credit. Now, the other big policy changes in this bill, they're not as specifically financial, are changes, some changes in the tax code, prescription drug pricing, agricultural health insurance. But I'm going to focus really on the clean tech. So I downloaded all 755 pages of the bill. And I'm sure you'll all be happy to know that I didn't kill a tree to print it. And you may be unhappy to know that I didn't read the whole thing. I focused on the provisions for home and business clean technology. So we're going to dig into these provisions specifically for homeowners. Now, Congress, and this wasn't really all of Congress, it was mostly Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin and their team, they threw the kitchen sink into this bill. And it was a really good collection of items in the kitchen sink. So just a quick rundown. This bill extends the current wind and solar credits. And the solar ITC is no longer called the ITC or the investment tax credit. It's been renamed the Residential Clean Energy Credit. Hooray, a new TLA, the RCE. All right, there's direct tax credits for standalone storage for the first time. It used to be that storage had to be incorporated with solar, but now you can just put in a battery or a collection of batteries or a utility. All right. A lot of the benefits, a lot of this bill is focused on low and middle income customers. It kind of takes a lot of the wind out of the sails into the big fight we're having in California regarding this mythical cost shift from rich people to poor people. This bill is really good for low and middle income customers, including, in fact, paying for, in some cases, everything. There's incentives for carbon capture and direct air capture of CO2. Now, as you know, I'm not a big fan of this technology, but it's okay to gamble on winners and losers. There's money set aside for zero emission nuclear power. Eh, yeah, might, maybe someday, that'd be a great idea. But remember, it's taking historically at least 20 years to build a new nuclear plant. So that's not an immediate solution in any way. Credits for alternative fuels such as biodiesel, Credits for sustainable aviation fuel. We're going to really need that. Clean hydrogen. It's a great idea. 
home energy efficiency improvements, and then very specifically credits for home heating, cooling, cooking, hot water, and electrical systems, in addition to the benefits for solar and storage, and tax credits for household and business electric vehicles, and then credits for updating wiring in homes. Now, on the commercial side, just like commercial solar storage, etc., there's commercial energy efficiency credits, commercial EV charger credits. Now, there's no credits for residential EV chargers, but anything on the commercial side, which would be public, then there's credits for that. There's lots of commercial low and middle income projects. And then there's also credits for commercial projects. Note that these credits for commercial low and middle income projects and any project for that matter, they require the use of prevailing wages for anything over a megawatt of solar. So that's kind of bad, but, you know, I think the credits are going to help in general. All right. So big picture. Many of these provisions are going to be good for 10 years. It's just not a one-time shot. And what's going to happen, inevitably, it's going to accelerate the transformation of the United States energy use from fossil fuels to electric. It's not going to happen right away. After 10 years, we're still going to be using fossil fuels, but there's going to be a big transition on the consumption side. Homes, businesses, vehicles, things like that. And that's going to cure us of our fossil fuel addiction, our gas addiction, our methane addiction in homes and businesses because we use that for heating. So what's this going to mean? Well, 10 years from now, the reality is the climate's going to be a lot hotter than now. We're not going to change this overnight. And this is the other surprising thing, and I've just witnessed this in California, and I know it's going to happen, continue in California and in a lot of other states. Electric rates are going to be two and a half times higher in 10 years than they are right now. It sounds flabbergasting that with all these incentives, the rates are going to go up, but the way the utility business model works is the more infrastructure they put in, the greater the electricity demand. They make more investments and they have to recapture these investments. So they raise the rates to recapture that investment. And then also to kind of pour salt in the wound, there's this concept of stranded assets, whereby if there is equipment that the utilities put in that they're no longer using, they still have to charge customers for the fact that they put those in, even though they're obsolete technologies. So this is happening in many states. It's happening worldwide. So electric rates are going to go up. But the good news is if you put in solar and storage, you kind of isolate yourself from that. Now, the real good news after all this, and this is kind of in addition to saving people money, we're going to really be improving the climate or reducing the damage. U.S. emissions are expected to be down by 42% by 2030, according to a Princeton study. So that's really, really good. I didn't dive into the details on that, but it sounds kind of in the realm of possibility. All right. So let's look at the specific impact on many of the home and business technologies that are incorporated in the Inflation Reduction Act. Every time I say Inflation Reduction Act, I'm like, it's really the Clean Tech Act, but we named it differently so that we would actually get through and it sounds better from a political standpoint. All right. So just kind of running down the things that I'm going to see happening here. Electric vehicles are going to become the majority of new cars sold in five years. People are going to be flocking to electric vehicles. And as a result of that, the biggest impediment to adoption of electric vehicles right now is both cost and availability of the batteries and the components. So as those become more available, the volumes are going to go way up. Now, because there's going to be more cars that are electric, there's going to be tremendous growth in the EV charging infrastructure. 
I expect that there's going to be electric vehicle chargers in 10 years, maybe five years, at 50% of the gas stations. And it's for very simple economic reasons. Gas stations are still going to need reasons for EV owners to go there. Those gas stations want to sell electricity and they want to sell Slim Jims and coffee. But they're the convenience stores. So gas stations are going to start putting these in. And, you know, when I travel, a lot of times I go to the EV chargers at a 7-Eleven or another gas station and they have fast chargers. There. They're going to pop up all over the place. And there's also going to be growth in residential EV charging, but those are really going to be individual decisions. All right, next. Solar is going to be on 25% of all new and existing homes with sunny rooftops. It's reasonable for that because solar power is going to be way cheaper than utility power. It's already way cheaper in California, even if you take out a loan to install a system, way cheaper. So simple economics. People are going to put solar on the roofs if they've got a sunny roof. I think it's going to be 25%. It would be 50% or more of all the homes in the United States if not for the fact that utilities are doing everything they can to prevent people from putting rooftop solar on and preventing businesses from putting in rooftop solar. That's a separate fight, not part of this bill. Now, talking about batteries, there's a tremendous demand for batteries in California. The reasons are that, that there are good economic benefits for it, that the grid's unreliable, but I'm not really clear about the future penetration rates of home batteries, really for two reasons. One, they're supply-constrained, a lot of the batteries are going into cars, not as much into homes. And the car companies have much bigger checkbooks to buy $5 billion worth of batteries rather than the solar companies buying them one at a time. And then the other reason why the penetration isn't going to be as fast is, once again, just like solar, the utilities object, they prevent, they put policies in place that discourage homes and businesses from putting in batteries because they want to do the batteries themselves and make money on it instead of lose money when you put it on your roof or you put the battery in your house. All right. Heat pump hot water heaters. I expect that 50% of all homes at the end of 10 years are going to have heat pump hot water heaters instead of a gas hot water heater or an electric hot water heater. Now, here's what happens. Existing gas heaters, they're gradually going to fail and be replaced. I did another energy show on heat pump water heaters. The DOE expects that the average gas-fired hot water heater lasts 13 years. So more than half of the hot water heaters are going to fail over the next 10 years. And the logical thing is for people to put in a heat pump water heater. Logical because it saves money. It saves a lot of money. And with the incentive for heat pump water heaters, it costs the same to put in a heat pump water heater as a gas heater. And I expect that most new homes are going to have heat pump water heaters, except the homes that don't have room for a tank. And so a lot of new construction is very crowded and they don't have a utility room and they put the utilities outside. They put the hot water heater outside. They might have like gas furnaces in the wall or they're going to put in a heat pump. So they might not have room for that cylindrical tank, but I expect 50% of the homes are going to have these heat pump water heaters. I have one. I've had it for three years. It works great. Now, as far as heat pump HVAC systems, I expect that 25% of all homes are going to be heated and cooled with a heat pump. Now, when you kind of look at the technology behind a heat pump, it's basically the same as an air conditioner running in reverse. So what's going to happen is the existing furnaces gas furnaces. I had a gas furnace in my house three years ago. It was old. I replaced it. I also replaced my air conditioner at the same time, but it was one unit that did the work of both of those old appliances. So as these furnaces, gas furnaces die, as air conditioning compressors die, people are going to gradually replace them with heat pump HVAC systems. And with the incentive 
a heat pump HVAC system is about the same price as a gas furnace. Now, these systems work great throughout the United States, except in some of the coldest climates. They still work there, but they're not going to be quite as efficient as they are in you know the middle and the south of the U.S. All right, induction cooktops. I think it's going to replace 75% of all standard electric ranges. A lot of people don't often replace their gas cooktops. But when you're building new homes or if you're updating your kitchen, it makes sense to put in an induction cooktop. I did it. It's working great. All right. Electrical panels and electric service upgrades. I expect that 50% of old homes will have upgrades made to their electrical panel or their electrical service. Now, that $4,000 incentive covers the cost for the electrical panel upgrade in low-cost locations. It still costs more to upgrade the electrical service, often twice as much. But... 50% of the homes are going to update that because they're going to want an EV charger. They're going to want to put in a big solar system. They're going to want to put in an electric cooktop. And they're going to want to put in a heat pump, HVAC, and hot water heater. And that's all going to use a little bit more electricity. The biggest user is going to be with that EV. And that's why you need that upgrade to the electrical service. All right. A couple of other technologies I just kind of find intriguing. Carbon capture. So there's a lot of money going in for carbon capture, carbon capture and sequestration, direct air capture. I've done energy shows on that already. You're welcome to go listen to those. A lot of good background there. I'm not going to go into the details again. But I just find it intriguing, and there's a reason why, but it's just bizarre that we're going to spend billions and billions of dollars on technology, carbon capture technology that's thermodynamically inferior to a much better alternative. Now, the fossil fuel industry isn't going to give up on the technology that extends the use of their product. These transitions are existential for them. They want to keep drilling for oil and gas and selling that. That's how they make their money. And even though it's thermodynamically inferior to take the carbon out of the out of the fuel when it's burned, they're still going to try and do that and extend their monopoly for as long as they can. So that's what's going to go on with carbon capture and, and sequestration and director capture. And I kind of look at it this way. It's okay to fund this loser technology so we get the funding for winner technologies. And as we're able to deploy more clean, renewable energy, wind, solar, things like green hydrogen, we'll talk about that in a sec, then we're not going to need to do that carbon capture and sequestration. All right, last one I mentioned, green hydrogen. It's going to scale up widely. It's going to go for large systems. And I'm even expecting, you know, in five years or so, we're going to have smaller building systems, maybe even home systems that are going to be able to generate hydrogen, store that hydrogen and use it for whatever you need. And makes a lot of sense for fuel cell cars, as long as you can get that hydrogen locally. The green hydrogen as a fuel or as a storage medium, It's really effectively a storage medium, but as that to use for process heat or for aircraft or long distance transportation makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we talked about this kitchen sink bill. Uh, You can probably read about a few of these things elsewhere, but the real question is, is how much will these benefits save homeowners? And that will dictate how fast these technologies really are adopted and how fast we kind of chew through that $369 billion. So let's dive into the numbers. Okay, first, some assumptions. And I kind of try and do this on the average for the United States. So the average U.S. home uses about 1,000 kilowatt hours of electricity per month, 12,000 kilowatt hours a year. The average U.S. home uses 640 therms of natural gas. So I, I basically did an analysis using California's current electric and gas rates to see 
how much people are going to save by adopting these technologies. Now, if you're in a different state, if you're kind of want to see what these numbers mean for you, just keep in mind that I did these numbers based on 12,000 kilowatt hours a year, 640 therms of natural gas. You can make adjustments based on how much gas and electricity you use and based on what your costs for those items are to see what it's going to be in your location. And you also will have to obviously account for different, in almost every single case, lower construction costs and installation costs for this equipment because here in California, it's just really expensive to do everything. And in other states, it's going to be a lot cheaper. Okay, diving right in. Rooftop solar. So what's going to happen is the tax credit for rooftop solar in 2022 is going to increase from 26% to 30%. This bill just threw 4% more money into the pockets of everybody who was planning on getting solar in 2022. We thought it was going to go down next year. Instead, it's going to stay the same 30% this year, 30% last year, 30% next year for the next nine years after that. So let's just look at an 8.1 kilowatt system, which is what you're going to need in California with that $12,000 kilowatt hour, 12,000 kilowatt hour electric usage to basically get to zero. So with that 8.1 kilowatt system, it's going to save the average homeowner about $4,500 a year. And if you've got the, um, before the investment tax credit, the, the cost for that, and this is for a straightforward house, easy roof, you know, not super expensive panels, about $25,500 for installing that on a straightforward system before the investment tax credit. I got to change the name on that. And $18,900 after the investment tax credit, that 8.1 kilowatt system is going to save the average homeowner about $4,500 per year. And that's going to cost $25,500 before the investment tax credit. Or I got to remember, it's now called the residential clean energy credit. But factoring in that 30% residential clean energy credit, cost is going to be $18,900. So essentially, the IRA, with that extra 4% savings, is going to save another $1,000. Pretty good. That gives you a four-year payback for rooftop solar for a simple system. No-brainer. That's what it is right now, 2022. But based on what the utilities are going to do with net metering three, they want to increase the payback in California from that four or five years to at least 10 years or longer because they don't want you to put solar on your roof. They want to put solar you know, in the desert or in other states and sell you that power. Now, if you put in a battery, it's going to add about $12,000 after the ITC or the Renewable Clean Energy Credit. But the batteries are becoming even more important. Why? Because everything's going to be electric. Your house is going to be heated with electricity. You're driving with electricity. You're cooking with electricity. Your hot water comes from electricity. So electricity is even more important. And you're going to need power during utility blackouts. They're going to happen. And so by having your own battery coupled with a solar system, not only do you save money, but you've got power. You can kind of continue your lifestyle when the next blackout happens. Okay. Electric vehicles. There's going to be a $7,500 rebate for new electric vehicles. And there is that rebate now for many vehicles. I think once automakers make over 200,000 cars, they don't get that rebate, but the rebate's going back into place. So basically every car company is going to be able to get that rebate. And then there's also going to be a rebate for used electric vehicles. That's great. I still have a used Chevy Volt and nobody would want to buy a used Chevy Volt because there's no rebate for it. But now 
boom, I basically can now charge for almost $4,000 more to sell that used EV, although we're using it at the office. Now, there's a couple of caveats here. These rebates are not for high-income customers, and the vehicle has to be less than $80,000 for a truck or SUV and less than $55,000 for other vehicles. Now, there's another little loophole in there. I don't know if it's a loophole or a trap, but some of the equipment has to be made in the U.S. So in order to get these rebates, I think there's going to have to be batteries or components that are largely made in the U.S. So running through the numbers on this tax credit, assuming 1,000 miles per month driving, kind of a rough ballpark, round number, and your vehicle gets three miles per kilowatt hour in terms of efficiency. It's kind of on the high end, but most vehicles hit that. And comparing it to an ordinary vehicle that gets an average of 25 miles per gallon using gas, and the gas is $4 a gallon, that's the current national average, you're going to need 7.3 more solar panels to power that vehicle for the year. Now, Obviously, you're not going to get 0.3 solar panels, but that's just how we're kind of doing the analysis, get seven or eight. Now, what that's going to mean when I kind of look at the savings over 10 years, not including the rebate, just the savings in energy, that's going to save you an additional $12,100 in extra savings over 10 years if you drive that car powered by solar compared to driving with gas, as everybody is right now. Okay, next technology that's in the IRA, heat pump water heater. There's a $1,750 rebate for heat pump water heaters. So first, many people are going to say, what's a heat pump water heater? Boy, when we put our heat pump water heater in, in San Jose, I talked to like half a dozen plumbers and none of the plumbers even knew what I was talking about. So no surprise if people don't know exactly what these are. You probably haven't even seen them, but they look just like a conventional gas hot water heater. It's one of those cylindrical tanks. We have a 65 gallon tank. It's like five feet high. The only difference is, instead of a gas burner at the bottom, which basically boils the water and then heats up the water in the tank, there's a small heat pump on the top. And that heat pump is just nothing more than a little tiny refrigerator. But it doesn't cool the water. It heats the water and heats the water in the tank. And it exhausts cold air into the room or the garage or the basement in which that heat pump water heater is installed. So it works out really well. Actually, my wife likes it because the exhaust from the heat pump water heater blows onto her vegetable collection and fruit collection in the garage. And there's a few wine bottles in there that I've got tucked along. And so it also keeps the wine kind of cool. Really important to note that this is not a flash or a tankless heater. That's what a lot of plumbers like to put in. This is much better than that. All right. So To get more information about heat pump water heaters, I suggest that you listen to one of my recent podcasts that I've done on that. You can just look that up on the Energy Show. Now, looking at the numbers here, assuming 70% gas hot water efficiency and a 300% heat pump efficiency. So your gas hot water heater makes hot water at 70% efficiency. You lose 30% of the energy. And the heat pump efficiency is actually... 300%. It's amazing. It's really cool, the coefficient of performance, but it really works great. So it's going to mean that you're going to go from 10 therms a month of natural gas consumption to 73 kilowatt hours a month. Now, sorry for the apples and oranges comparison, but the gas costs are basically charged by the utility in terms of therms. And the heat pump water heater uses electricity, so that's measured in kilowatt hours. But the numbers are correct here. So If I run with that 73 kilowatt hour per month cost, it's going to mean that you're going to need 1.6 more solar panels to heat your water for a year using a heat pump water heater. 
And that's going to save you $3,300 over 10 years when powered by solar. I absolutely love this heat pump water heater because I look at what my solar costs are. I'm paying like $5 a month on the average to heat hot water for the house. And that's just amazing compared to, you know, it used to be 30 or 40. All right. Next technology that's going to be adopted and have good rebate for it. There's an $8,000 rebate for a heat pump HVAC system. Now, once again, you might say, what the heck is that? Well, a heat pump HVAC system is basically the same as a conventional air conditioner in cooling mode. And that air conditioner basically blows cool air into the house and it exhausts hot air on that compressor that's outside. When the HVAC system is in heating mode, it operates in reverse. It blows warm air into the house and it blows cool air outside. It's really bizarre. In the middle of the winter here in San Jose, I was outside and it was about 40 degrees and there was 30 degree air blowing off of the compressor for the heat pump system that I have. And inside the house, it was just 74 degrees, just fine. So what's going to happen over the next 10 years is people are going to replace their gas furnaces when they die. Maybe they last 20 years. They're going to upgrade their air conditioning and they're going to replace their air conditioners because they also last maybe 20 years. More details on heat pump HVAC systems are in recent energy shows that I've done. But in terms of crunching the numbers here, Assuming your current gas furnace has an efficiency of 70%, and that's kind of typical when you take in everything into account. Yes, you can get new gas furnaces that are 90% or 95% efficient. They're condensing, but we're talking about people replacing old stuff, most likely. So assuming a 70% current gas furnace efficiency and a 300% heat pump efficiency, that efficiency is going to vary a little bit depending on the area of the country you're in. You're going to go from using 520 therms of gas a year, natural gas a year, methane a year, for heating to 3,775 kilowatt hours a year of electricity that's actually powering the heat pump. And when you get that electricity from solar, you're going to need about 6.9 more solar panels to heat your house for a year. That's not including what you're already doing with your air conditioning. I kind of assume that people already have air conditioning. Those are big savings. That's going to save you $14,000 over 10 years when you power that heat pump with solar. Okay, next technology that's part of the IRA, induction cooktop. There's an $840 rebate for an induction cooktop. What's that, you may ask? It's similar to a conventional electric cooktop. We had an electric cooktop in one of our old houses. It was just this tempered glass thing, and it had glowing electric coils underneath. And when I grew up, we had the same thing, but you put your pots and pans right on the electric coils instead of being under glass. So instead of coils... This induction cooktop heats the pot or the pan above the glass. You just plunk it down on the glass via induction. It's kind of like a transformer. It works great. Now, there's one caveat. You have to use a steel or iron pan or pot. Aluminum doesn't work because the cookware has to be magnetic so it can engage magnetically with basically the transformer that's underneath the glass. My wife loves it. It's much faster cooking, great control, and it's easier to clean. And most important, from a health standpoint, there's no cooking fumes. There's no carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, or you know anything else evil that's kind of coming off of those gas flames. Much more details in one of my recent podcasts on induction cooktops. You're welcome to listen to those. So how much is it going to save? I just ran some really rough numbers that vary all over the map because people have different cooking habits. But assuming that you're using 2,000 watts of power for an hour a day, you're going to use 730 kilowatt hours per year 
for this induction cooktop if you're going from gas to an induction cooktop. If you have an existing electric cooktop, it's going to be about the same. And in order to power that, you're going to need 1.3 more solar panels to replace that gas cooktop with an induction cooktop. That's going to save you about $1,400 over 10 years if you power that induction cooktop with solar. I mean, every single one of these things I did it in my house. It's been in place for three years. We love it. The bill's negative. All right. Now, the last thing that's part of the bill that a lot of people are going to take advantage of are electrical upgrades. Now, I'm going to make a distinction because it's really important, we're electricians, between upgrading just the electric panel. That's where you've got the circuit breakers. It's usually near your meter. Um, and then upgrading the wires that go to your house, either um, above ground or underground. Now, so electrical panel upgrades in Silicon Valley are really expensive. Cities and the utilities drive us absolutely nuts. The parts alone range from about $1,200 for a simple upgrade to $4,000 for the parts for a fancy new super duper feature electric panel. Span uh, has one of those and we install a lot of them. They're great. But those are more expensive. Um, but the real cost is the complicated coordination between our electric utility and pretty much any electric utility and the city. Multiple meetings, the, the utilities don't go to the meetings, the cities can't confirm at the same time. We go back and forth, back and forth. So it's really expensive. That's why it's $6,000. But that $4,000 incentive is going to partially offset two-thirds of the cost for this upgrade. And if you do this upgrade with solar or storage at the same time, the solar tax credit covers electrical costs also. So you're going to get another 30% there. And that's going to basically cover the costs. If you combine the $4,000 incentive as that's part of the IRA with the incentives you get from upgrading your electrical system as part of the solar tax credit. Now, that's for an electric panel upgrade. That's kind of relatively straightforward and the utility doesn't always drive us crazy. But when it's an electric service upgrade where you have to run new wires to the house, that can cost $8,000 to, I mean, we've done jobs where it's over $20,000 if it's underground. It's hideously complicated to do the coordination between the utility and the city for these electric service upgrades. In some cases, it takes over a year. Okay, but the incentives in the IRA are going to really help offset people's costs for this. And I really hope that we do these on a widespread basis because you're really going to need it. Uh, the last batch of incentives in here are energy efficiency upgrades. Lots of incentives in the IRA for these upgrades. There's rebates, there's tax credits, there's grants, especially for low and middle income households. And we're talking about upgrading the building shell, upgrading the other parts of the electrical service, making the house better insulated, lots and lots of things. And really, really good. But I'm not going to dive into those because they're so specialized, the actual home. All right. So to wrap up, <laughs> this is just an absolutely terrific bill. The Inflation Reduction Act is the biggest clean energy act ever in the United States. It's going to accelerate, not complete, but it's going to accelerate our transition away from fossil fuels in 10 years. It's great for the climate. Um, it's going to reduce our greenhouse gases by 42%. It's not going to cure our global warming problem. The world is still going to warm up, but maybe we'll stay under 3 degrees C. It's great for homes and businesses. I kind of ran through the numbers on a typical home. It's going to save $7,500 in energy costs per year. And that's a real number. And that's what we're experiencing. And that's what our other customers are experiencing here when they make all these changes. Now, one of the tricks 
is some of the incentives, like the solar and the battery tax credit, are going to be administered through the existing tax policy. But a lot of the little incentives, like home appliances and energy efficiency incentives, they're going to be administered by the state energy commissions. So they're not going to kick in right away. It's going to kick in next year. And there's going to be a whole other bureaucracy and forms and things like that to deal with to get these incentives. And I, I kind of went through the same thing when I put in my heat pump water heater in San Jose. There's a bunch of paperwork we had to fill out. But once that kicks in, then that business is really going to grow. It's not going to explode within the next in January because typically it takes the government's months to get the forms ready. Now, here's the other thing. Beware, electricity and methane, a.k.a. natural gas, costs are going up really fast. So you can expect a 10% annual increase on these fuels, on electricity and methane that you buy from your utility, and even faster in California. California, for the last two years, natural gas went up 14% each year. It's compounded by two facts. One, we've got this war in Ukraine, which is soaking up all the worldwide supplies of natural gas. And two, the weird way the utility business model works is the more equipment they put in, the more upgrades they make to serve more customers, the more the electricity costs go up. So they're going to go up. Now, good news is the solar and storage incentives are available right now. They're immediate. If you're in California, move fast because the utilities are taxing new solar installations starting in 2023. There's this whole thing about net metering three. They're trying to double the costs for solar, reduce the savings in half. Why? Because they want to sell the power. They don't want you to generate it. So they're still kind of wide open this year, but starting in 2023, the benefits that homes and businesses get from rooftop solar and storage are going to be cut by half. And then the other thing, if you put in solar with a battery, you're going to have backup power for future blackouts. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Energy Show. Barry wants everyone to benefit from clean energy. So if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.